Please stand for the reading of God's word. Matthew eleven twenty-eight through 30. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Matthew 22, verses 34 to 40. But when the Pharisees heard that he had silenced the Sadducees, they gathered together. And one of them, a lawyer, asked him a question to test him. Teacher, which is the great commandment in the law? And he said to him, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. And a second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depends all the law and the prophets. This is God's word. We've been going through the New City Catechism and we're on question seven, which asks, what does the law require? And let us answer together. Personal, perfect, and perpetual obedience that we love God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love our neighbor as ourselves. What God forbids should never be done. What God commands should always be done. Amen. So over the four of the last five weeks, we've aligned our messages with the New City Catechism questions. And we've done that to show the richness of these questions and the answers to them, and hopefully that will encourage you to continue to uh, look at these questions and to dig deeply into them. Next week, we do restart our series in the Gospel of John, and it's an appropriate time during Lent because we will be entering into the Upper Room Discourse, where Jesus' Last Supper takes place, and we, where he shares his heart as he faces the cross. But this week we are looking at the law. There's a lot of confusion about it, both among non-Christians and Christians. It is misunderstood and it is misused. So may God lead us today to get clarity on it and see how instead of it being a burden, it is life-giving. Let's pray. Father, guide us today. Your word is truth. Sanctify us in that truth. Sanctify us in the way that we see your truth. We connect with your truth. We adopt your truth as our truth. So that we might live lives by which we thrive, but more importantly, by which we glorify you. In Christ's name we pray, amen. The picture on the screen is a facsimile of a card that I once saw in a card shop. It's a picture of uh, the portrait of American classic, and their faces are very stern. And the man says, if it's fun, it must be sin. And that seems to be an attitude of a lot of people, that somehow God's law has been created to take the fun out of life. 
that if we follow it, we can't pursue the pleasures that we think will bring us happiness and fulfillment, but the opposite couldn't be more true. But this view of the law has lingered for a long, long time. A century ago, a social activist named Emma Goldman looked at Christianity the laws and she concluded that Christianity was an iron net, a straitjacket that did not let people grow or expand. There are similar feelings today. To quote one pastor, a common perspective of Christianity and the law is that it places onerous burdens on the backs of its followers. It robs them of their individuality as they walk lockstep with the tenets of their faith. It micromanages them with hundreds of archaic commands. And it leaves those who follow it stressed and wearied by trying to live up to its impossible demands. And it leads them to be judgmental and spiritually arrogant. People who feel that way, that this law is such a burden, seek to get out from underneath it and live by their own law. And that's what we see for the first couple. God had given them everything they could ever want or need for fulfillment in the garden, a virtual paradise. In fact, they all even had access to the tree of life itself. But the tempter came in and essentially said, if you follow the law of God, you see that he is keeping you from the one tree that will fulfill you. He is putting a straitjacket on you and keeping you from what will bring happiness. And so when they looked at that tree and they saw that it would bring them pleasure, they took of that tree breaking God's law and creating a spiral of sin into their lives and into the world that followed them. It was disastrous, but that same attitude is among us today. People look at the law of God and they say, that's constraining us from what we really think will make us happy, so we will take of that tree of knowledge of good and evil, we will determine for ourselves, not the law of God, but we will determine for ourselves what's good and evil, we will determine for ourselves what is right and wrong, and then we will construct a moral system around that so we can do what we like and really have the pleasures we desire. That's a perspective that's out there among those who don't believe in Jesus Christ. But even Christians struggle with the law. There are those who create legalistic systems around God's law. And the result is that it is an iron net and it becomes a straitjacket for us. It is onerous when we follow that sort of legalism. And it often makes us spiritually arrogant and judgmental of other people who don't live up to it the way we do. On the other hand, there are the Christians who look at the passages that said, we have died to the law. That for freedom, Christ has set us free and they believe that there's no connection between God's law and their lives because they are free and it gives them license to do what they want. Both views are wrong. 
This morning, we hope to clarify our perspective about the law and realize that it is not the cosmic killjoy, but that a proper understanding of the law of God brings life fulfillment and helps us thrive. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 11, Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you, learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you'll find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, my burden is light. The context of that verse is the law. Only a few verses earlier, we read that Jesus gives us the greatest commandment upon which all other commandments are built. And what follows is Jesus' controversy with the religious leaders at the day over the meaning of the law of the Sabbath as they used it to control people. And Jesus saw freedom in it as he himself was the Lord of the Sabbath. So the burden Jesus is talking about is the burden that the religious leaders of the day laid on people through the law. The lightness is the way Jesus brings us into the law and our understanding of the law. John said it earlier. You shall know the truth. The truth will set you free. In the first chapter, he says, Moses brought us the law. Chapter 1, verse 16. The law was given through Moses. Grace and truth come through Jesus Christ. So as we look at Matthew 11, we see the heavy burden people can use to put us under with the law and the light, the light burden the lifting, the rest that we could find when we follow Christ and his understanding of the law. So at the very beginning, so let's look first of all at the heaviness the law can bring and that it did bring during that day. But Jesus' first miracle actually speaks into that and addresses it. If you remember, Jesus was at a wedding and they ran out of wine and so Jesus took six pots of water and turned them into wine. Now, that miracle was the first miracle of Jesus because he was trying to show us the nature of his ministry, what he was seeking to bring us. Because people do feel that a religion can be onerous. Jesus was saying, no, I bring you a ministry of celebration. Wine pictured celebration and joy. I bring you a ministry. I have come that you might have life and have it to the fullness. I have come so that you have, might have the joy that I have. But what's interesting is those six of potter, pots of water were not for drinking. Those were for ceremonial cleansing. And so Jesus is taking really what pictures the law and he transforms that into his ministry of joy. And so what was going on in those days when the law was so burdensome? Well, let me put it this way. If you hate the legalism that constrains us, that leads us to focus on the minutia rather than the real character 
transformation that we should have, which leads to spiritual arrogance and judgmentalism, then know that Jesus hates that legalism more than we do. In chapter 23 of the book of Matthew, we see Jesus' scathing rebuke against the way the law was being used. Verses 13 and 15, he says, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you shut the kingdom of heaven in people's faces. For you neither enter yourself nor you allow those who would enter into it. And what he is saying is legalism isn't the way to God. It's the way that shuts the door to God. As long as you think you can earn your way to God, you can earn your way into the kingdom of heaven by keeping God's law, you are actually shutting the real door which opens us to heaven. Because none of us can live up to that law. Paul will say it, if, if the law could save you, then, then Jesus would have made that the way. But it doesn't. It reveals our sinfulness and is there in part to reveal that we need a Savior. We can't save ourselves. So anyone, any religion that teaches you get to God through keeping the laws of our religion you aren't giving them a way to God. You are shutting the door to God. In our culture, the common understanding is that if you are a good person, that will get you to God. That will get you into the kingdom of heaven. That's the same teaching as this, that somehow we can make our way, and when we believe we can make our way, when we spread that to other people, we are shutting the door to God's kingdom for ourselves and for anyone we teach that to. The religious leaders of the day shut the door and they used the law for selfish purposes. We read verses 4 and 6 of the 23rd chapter. They tie up heavy burdens, hard to bear. They lay them on people's shoulders they themselves are not willing to move them with their finger. They do all their deeds to be seen by others. They make phylacteries broad and their, their fringes long. They love the place of honor at feasts, in the best seats in the synagogues, and greetings in the marketplace. They love being called rabbi by elders. You see, they take the law, they leave a heavy burden but they themselves use it because they kept the law better than everyone else. They used it as a showcase. They felt they were better than others and they expected to be honored for it. When there is a legalistic system in a church, people use it to try to impress others by how obedient they are to it. And what that does is it creates hypocrisy. And we all come thinking everyone's looking at us regarding how well we keep the law, and we all put false faces on. 
We don't open up with the truth of the struggles that we have in our lives so we can begin to work together and God can change those. No, we lie to others and we lie to ourselves. That's not what Christianity is. Christianity is, a, is, a, is grace to us, forgiveness, so that we can face our own sins because we know we can be forgiven. And we can open up to one another in a church of grace because we know we will be given the forgiveness that Jesus Christ gives us. The only way for us to become authentic and real is to move away from the legalistic system into the system of grace. Jesus continued, verse 23, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! For you tithe mint and dill and cumin, You've neglected the weightier matters of the law, justice and mercy and faithfulness. And what you see here is they focus on what other people see, but they miss what God is trying to do inside of them. The, uh, do you remember the, the children's story, The Emperor's New Clothes? So... These uh, tailors come and they, they, they tell the emperor, we're going to create these special clothes no other king in the world has. The one thing about them is they're so fantastic, so beautiful, but you can't see them if you're not worthy of your state. And so the tailors go and they're creating nothing, absolutely nothing. But the king comes in and looks at it and he's realizes if I admit I see nothing, then everyone's going to know I'm not worthy of my office, not worthy to be king. So I'll say, it's beautiful. It's the most phenomenal clothing of all. And everyone else, not wanting to admit their shortcomings, say, oh, those are the most beautiful garments we've ever beheld. So they decide to have a parade. And as he marches down, he takes off his kingly garb, and puts on nothing. And so he walks out into the, there, the parade. Nobody wants to say they're not worthy of their position. So they all say, well, this is, he's, he, this, these clothes are so phenomenal. They're so wonderful. Until a little boy just says, he's naked. <laughs> the Pharisees love to march around. They... they, they they tied their mint till and cumin, but they were naked. They missed justice, mercy, faithfulness. Legalists focus in on the minutia and miss what God's really trying to do inside of us. And the result is, in many churches, we look at those who are naked, who have put off sins, but not put on anything. And we look at them and say, aren't they the, the great Christians? In reality, if we take off sin, but we don't put on righteousness, goodness, love, we are naked. The world sees that. And that's why they don't have respect for the church. We need to put the justice, mercy, Love, goodness on. 
We need to not just minister to ourselves. We need to minister out into the world around us. But ultimately, the religious leaders missed it because they didn't understand what God was doing through Scripture. Jesus points it out in John 5, 39, when he says, you search the Scriptures because you think in them you have eternal life. But they bear witness of me. They searched every law and thought, if we keep these laws, we get eternal life. And Jesus said, no, no, no. All of the scripture, even the, the law, the law is pointing to the Messiah. The prophets are pointing to the Messiah. He said, they're all pointing to me and you're missing it. See, we all invariably fail to keep the whole law. We like to say, nobody's perfect. You've heard people say that. You know, we can say, you agree with Scripture. You're almost quoting the Bible. Nobody's perfect. We've all sinned and fall short of the glory of God. The law reveals that to us. But it also brings us the answer in the Savior, Jesus Christ. Uh, And we see it in the law. The law isn't just about rules we're supposed to keep. It also presents Passover and the Day of Atonement and the sacrifices, the, the sacrificial sin, you know, sin offering and guilt offering. It's loaded with passages that say we need a Savior. It brings us that Savior in Jesus Christ. So that heavy load is something God does not want on us. It should be as detestable to us as it is to Jesus. Jesus comes to bring us the light load. At first glance, it looks like Jesus puts a heavier burden on us than the religious leaders did. Look at the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount where it says, Don't think that I came to abolish the law and the prophets. I've not come to abolish them. I've come to fulfill them right down to every jot and tittle. For I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and the Pharisees, you'll never enter the kingdom of heaven. Did you get that? Imagine being one of the listeners to those words. You have held up the scribes and the Pharisees as the ultimate godly spiritual people. They're the ones who keep the law. They do things you could never do. And Jesus says, unless your righteousness tops theirs, you're not entering the kingdom of heaven. Imagine the burden you'd feel now. How could we ever top their righteousness? The sermon tells you how. By not focusing on the outward, but on the inward. Because the Pharisees cleaned the outside of the cup and they left the inside dirty. They were whitewashed tombs, beautiful on the outside, but full of dead men's bones on the inside. Jesus is going after our hearts with law. That's why he says, you've heard it said to those of old, you shall not murder, and whoever murders will be liable to judgment. But I say to you, everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. He's going after our hearts. For you've heard it said, you shall not commit adultery outside. 
But I say to everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent inside has committed adultery in his heart. Jesus is going after our hearts. The outside was trying to show us something that should be going on on the inside. He showed us that the law is about character. It's about the dynamics of what's going on inside of our heart. The sermon begins with the Beatitudes. Blessed are the meek, the merciful, the poor in spirit, the, those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. He's saying it's about you and who you are in the inside. How's that light? How does that make the, these, these teachings lighter? And it's because these teachings are expressing the character of God. They're leading us on a pathway to becoming the people we were meant to be. The people we know we should be. Look at the rest of this, the sermon where he talks about uh, he talks about loving your enemies, praying for those who persecute you. Don't be judgmental. The golden rule, treat others the way you would want them to treat you. Those truths resonate with every heart. That's why so many people outside of Christianity quote them. Because we all know this is who we should be. Matthew 5.48 sums it up when he says, be perfect. Why? For the Lord, your, your heavenly Father is perfect. You see, the sermon is trying to bring us into living out who we truly are, the image of God. Those who reflect the very character of God. When we begin to see the law in that way, it's life-giving. Because it's leading us to be the people we know we should be. And that's where we are going to find the ultimate satisfaction. Being the image of God, glorifying him through that image. You know, today, people build their identities around what they feel. And then they construct their moral lives around what they think their identity is. We need to build our identity based on who we are, the image of God. And know that we don't create the moral structure around that. God has already done that. He's revealed himself in it. Another way to look at the law is... The fact that we are called to live by the spirit of the law rather than the letter of the law. 2 Corinthians 3, 6 says, Paul says, Our sufficiency is from God who made us sufficient to be ministers of a new covenant, not of the letter but of the spirit, for the letter kills, the spirit gives life. What's he saying there? Is the old covenant people focused on the letter of the law? What are the rules? If I keep them on the outside, I've got it. 
But this is saying the new covenant writes the law of God on our hearts. It's starting to transform us on the inside. It aligns us with the will and the character of God. See, uh, we don't transfer the Mosaic law into our hearts. We transform, we transfer the truth that undergirds that law into our hearts. Okay, what am I saying by this? Okay, think in terms of a glacier. You see the top of a glacier, and that's 10% of what a glacier is. Underneath the water is 90% of the glacier that you don't see. But what is above is of the very nature of what is below. It's the same kind of ice. It's just you see the 10%, you miss the 90. The law was the 10% above the surface. But it flowed, it had the same very nature as the 90% underneath. That 90% underneath is the character of God himself. God's law flows from whom? From whom he is. Who he is. So, the Mosaic law may go away, but the character of God, which informed that law, which brought forth that law, is what the Spirit of God is working into our hearts to understand what is good, right, to how we should follow God and live for God. You shall know the truth, the truth will set you free, set you free from the letter of the law, but drive you in to the truth of God and his character. So every law has underneath it the character of God, either his, his justice, his mercy, his goodness, his grace, his holiness, his righteousness. And so what we need to do is get in touch with that truth under God and live that out in a variety of ways. If you live by the law, you only understand how to live this much. If you live by the letter of the law, right? If you live by the spirit of the law, you know how to live this much because you're walking in union with God and his will. And instead of us living in a relationship with rules and regulations, we live in a relationship with a living God. Instead of micromanaging our lives according to the letter of law, we are freed to live out of the spirit where the law is written on our hearts. The law flows from his character. And the core character quality of God is love. It's been there in the eternal relationship among Father, Son, Holy Spirit. That's why God is love. And so underneath every commandment is love. And that's what Jesus is saying in verses 37 and 38 of Matthew 22. When he's asked by the religious leader, what's the greatest commandment? His response, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. The second is like it, love your neighbor as yourself. Because God is love. He says, love me, love those I've created in the same way you love me. We all know that's exactly what we need to do. But we often miss the next verse, verse 40. 
where he says, on these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. What's he saying there? Every commandment of scripture is either an expression of how to love God or how to love one another. That's what we have to understand and get down to. The first four of the Ten Commandments express love toward God. The next six express love toward one another. Our hearts, whether you believe in Christ or not, our hearts all know that this truth. We all know that love is a central quality and we need to love one another. And if we believe in God, we know we need to love God. That's where we're going to thrive in our lives. You see, the law, God's commands, teach us how to love one another. Yeah, we all say, let's love one another. The question is, how? Who determines what is loving toward each other? See, if you love somebody, you want them to thrive. Are they going to thrive because Bruce Daggett has the plan for their lives? <laughs> Are they going to thrive if God has the plan for their lives? The creator of life. If we love people, we want them to thrive and we will dig into the scriptures to find out how people thrive and help lead them into that way. The law of God, it's deep, it's rich. It's got a lot to it and we can't live up to it. We will fail. That's why Jesus, uh, Paul's words in Romans 8, 1 are so life-giving. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Let that sink in for a moment. We might feel the burden of all the law. We, we can't keep it, Lord. We, we, we fail over and over and over again. There is therefore no, no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. That should take the burden of the law off of every shoulder. You know, someone close to me uh, received a bad review at work a while back. For the, another bad review meant he would lose his job. So over the next six months, he lived to try to satisfy that boss. Everything he did. He worked countless hours. He was under stress moment by moment. Am I doing the right thing? Am I saying the right thing? How is my boss looking at me? Then six months later, he received the good review. The relief that he felt, the freedom that he felt for a season because he could fall back under the same condemnation. Those who live under legalistic systems live under stress. But when you hear there's no condemnation in Christ Jesus, you are freed, not just for the moment, you are freed forever from that burden, having to live up to it. So does that lead to a life of license? No. When we realize there's no condemnation, 
because we're in Christ, because Christ took our sins, because he took the judgment we deserve, that causes something in our hearts to desire him, to respond to his love with love back. 2 Corinthians, Paul said, chapter 5, the love of Christ controls us. Having concluded this, Christ died, he died for all, that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and raised. In other words, he's saying the love of Christ controls us. And you ask the question, what's that mean? Does it mean Christ's love for me or my love for Christ? Or Christ's love flowing through me? And the answer is yes, it means all three. It means we've understood the love of Christ so deeply. It is starting to control our lives, but it has drawn us into a love relationship with him, which is controlling our life, which leads us to want to follow God by which the love of Christ reaches out to those people we serve. And it's all because there's no condemnation. It's not because there is condemnation and we need to follow it. It's because we have been freed and Christ's sacrifice has drawn us to him. Uh, is it onerous, guys, to buy a Valentine's gift for your wife? And usually the answer is yes, because we don't know what to get them, and they usually don't tell us. <laughs> but it's not onerous to say, I want to give the best gift. I want to know what will bring joy to my wife. And if I know that, I'll spend any amount. I'll do anything, and it'll be the greatest pleasure to see the joy in her to have received that gift. That's what it is with Jesus Christ. He is love is so great. We just want to know what he wants, what he desires in our lives. We'll do anything. It'll control our lives and lead our lives. Tim Keller wrote, In the life of the Christian, the law of God shows us the life of love. You want to live before God, who's done so much for you. God's law takes you out of yourself. It shows you how to serve God and others instead of being self-absorbed uh, with yourself. You study, you obey the law of God, in order to discover the kind of life you should live, in order to please and resemble the one who created and redeemed you. Today is Valentine's Day. See God's law, which gives us, shows the 10%, but leads us to live out of that 90% of the character of God. See this law as God's Valentine gift of love because it helps us become the people we know we should be, we want to be. It shows us how to love one another and that it is an expression back to God, our love letter to God. As Jesus said, if you love me, you keep my commandments. Every time we obey him, we say, Lord, I love you. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for Jesus Christ who comes 
takes the heavy burden off of us, gives us rest in the cross of Jesus Christ, gives us guidance in his commands and his will. Lord, thank you for your love letter to us today. In Jesus' name.